Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And now, Father, open up to us the deep mysteries of your word. That we may not fully understand, may they be embedded in our hearts so we might live this life with courage and with joy. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, Jesus came into a, a why would God world. The world we live in is a world that is punctuated by such beauty and joy and then at the same time, such overwhelming loss and questions, why? Why, oh God? And when, when Christ came into the world, God didn't just sort of wipe that slate clean. Christ came into that very world that we live in and that we experience every day in some way or another. So the reality of loss and, and of death is that was all intact as Jesus came and his redemptive power through his love for us was that which he left behind. But he came in and encountered these realities on a regular basis. Realities of loss, of grief, of death, and ongoing difficulty. And he didn't just come into town and just sort of wave his arms and say, everyone's, everyone's all well now. But at, at one person at a time, one by one, he did his work. So I have a rather long passage this morning. It's a story of two people who are threatened with tremendous loss and, and Jesus' treatment of them. Reading from the fifth gospel, pardon me, the fifth chapter of the gospel of Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side of the liver of the, of the lake, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and be, besought him, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she might be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for over 12 years and who suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but, was ra- but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his garment. For she said, if I just touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased and she fell, felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? 
And his disciples said to him, you see all the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that it had been done, what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw a tumult of people weeping and wailing loudly. And when they had entered, he said to them, why do you make such tumult and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they, they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were and went in with where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and walked. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. And from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God had his understanding, this hearing of his word. So mourning, grief, is simply part of the human condition. It doesn't feel good. It feels like, like fear. It's that, that deep throbbing within us that, that comes upon us. And we can't really control it. It just is. And it it feels like an affliction. It feels like something from which we want to run. And yet that, that mourning, that grief, has, has a subject associated with it. It's one who was lost from us, one who was close to us. And, and we just can't, we can't help it. Mourning and grief, it, it has its way with us. It just comes to us and takes us. And in a, in a way and at times it just takes us down. And this is where I've developed over the years a bit of a, a quarrel with Gail Sheehy who talks about the stages of grief and, and any kind of well-meaning people who say, well, you just have to get it over, get over it, get, put it behind you. And, and the reality is we carry it with us and, and it has its way with us. And the least little provocation, and all of a sudden, there it is. We often even don't know what the trigger might be, but all of a sudden, we, we feel it. And, and it's part of, part of our experience that we even wonder, 
Why this, why now? Even in a dream, we'll be awakened in the middle of the night by a, a memory or by a, a vision in our, in our dream. I've shared with you how one night about this past winter, about three in the morning, I had a, I had a vision in my dream of my mother. And I woke up and I was weeping. It was one of those things that just came to me. These things just come to us. And it's not ghost stuff. It's the reality of our love for one whom we love so dearly. And that, that mourning is a function, is a, is a reality of that love. It's a reflection of that love. And so it's, in a sense, it's better that we mourn than that we not mourn. It's better that we feel that, that anguish and that pain because that's a reflection of the love that, that that person gave to us. Love that was so overwhelming. And so our, our grief likewise overwhelms us. We also have this grief in this morning because of, well, so many losses in life. So many things. The least of them. The least of those losses are financial, the kind of stuff we put all of our time to. The greatest of them are relational. And, and we all know that this is true. And so here's this man, Jairus, upstanding member of the community, synagogue leader, and he's got a little girl, a little 12-year-old. And whatever it was has afflicted her, and, and she is near death. And in desperation, he comes to Jesus. Now, this was not usual. The Jews were already in a kind of a antagonistic relationship with Jesus, but, but at a time when such loss had stricken his household and his own heart was being ripped out within him, he went and he found Jesus and he told him, my little girl, my little girl. And Jesus, of course, said, I'll go with you. He wanted Jesus to come put his hands on her. Not just say something and be well, but come and be with her, touch her, touch my little girl. As I have touched her, as I have loved her. And Jesus goes, and the crowd is pressing him in around him. And in the midst of that crowd, unseen, is a woman crawling through the legs with the hope that if she just can touch the hem of his robe, in all likelihood, it was the portion of his robe that constituted the, the, the tassels for prayer. If I can just touch that, I'll be healed. She makes her way through, thick crowd. She touches the hem of his robe, and she knows. She feels it. She's been healed. And Jesus stops. Who touched me? Jesus knew 
that a profound and deep faith and hope had, had reached out to him. He felt the power go from him. And he stopped, and the disciples were just sort of, what? There's all of these people around you, and you want to know who touched you? And she came forward with gratitude, certainly with tears, so grateful that she, in her loss, in her fear, had been healed. Now, we don't know how long this took, but the scripture says that she told him the whole truth. I don't know how it is for you, but in my experience, when somebody's going to tell me about the history of their surgeries and their doctor visits, et cetera, et cetera, it takes a while to get all that out. And Jesus listened. He listened to her. And he, he, he heard the whole story of her affliction. And he, by that, blessed her. This is one who was mourning and knew comforting because of the, the blessing of Jesus. And then, unseen, is Jairus, this father, who's nervous and and in all likelihood, antsy as to why this delay. We've got to get going. My child is near gone. We've got to get, we've got to get out of here. You can only imagine his anxiety. But when that whole episode is concluded, he goes, goes with Jairus. They go to the house. And outside the house, as well as inside the house, the community is gathered around and they're weeping and wailing, they're mourning. They're, they're crying because that little girl had died. She had passed. Now, <clears throat> don't think that in the first century they didn't know what death was. The, the arrogance of modern times looks back at the first century and somehow thinks that these people don't know what they're talking about. They do. If they knew anything, they knew death. They saw it and were in touch with it far more than we are. We are separated from it. We have all kinds of filters that separate us from the reality of death. They had none. People died at home. And it was virtually an everyday occurrence. And this child had died. Jesus went in and he said, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And the house filled, filled with that cynical, sardonic laughter. How dare he say such a thing? Oh, yeah. Sleeping. So Jesus goes in with the parents with Peter, James, and John, which are the very disciples that are involved in the resurrection, goes in and takes this child's hand, the hand of a 12-year-old, sweet and soft, 
and simply says, Talitha kumi, little girl, get up. And she got up. Little 12-year-old. Hugs and kisses and tears. Celebration. The disciples probably standing there, astounded, looking at Jesus. And Jesus saw that they were all focused on this miraculous event. And the astonishment was such that they, all they could think about was their own interpretation of what was happening and what had happened. And then Jesus says, get her something to eat. <laughs> what about her? She's been sick and she's been through a pretty rough time. Give her something to eat. So blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. And in this instance, the operative tense is the future tense. And that is, you will be comforted. There's no implication that that comfort comes immediately upon the recognition of mourning, upon the reality of loss. But that somehow, some way, the Lord our God will will provide his comfort. Even when he was leaving his disciples, he said, when I leave, I will leave you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself will come and provide you the comfort. Now I say this, and yet every single one of you has a place of loss and you're trying to figure out just how this comfort comes. Even looking back over the years at losses that you've had. This man Jairus and losing his daughter, I mean, I, I cannot comprehend, and many of you have gone through this, the loss of a child. We, we face such experiences as that, and we live in this world that, as I say, is a why would God world? Why would God allow this? It's just wrong that a child should predecease a parent. And yet it happens. And we know that it happens. We observe it. We feel it. But we have no answers to it. And in the midst of it all, we simply, we long for comfort. You know, this is, sometimes I wish I were a pastor who just read the manuscript. That way I wouldn't have to see your faces. But I, I know your faces. And I know so many of you and so many of your losses. And so it's, it's hard for me. And I... <clears throat> I have to say that when I do pastoral work, when I'm going into a place of loss, I may only be on premises for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But the reality of entering into that experience is so huge 
There's the time in anticipation and then the the time post-visit. It's probably something in the neighborhood of a three-hour moment. And then there's thoughts of you, your loved ones, at night, during the day. I can be, you could drive by my house, see me working in the garage, thinking, oh, he's just wasting time, he's fiddling around. Not always. And so it is for you. So it is for you with the losses that you've had. You might be in a grocery store aisle and you might see that silly thing that he always wanted you to pick up for her, for him at the grocery store. And there it is again. So last night I was thinking about all of this and I sat down to Google and I simply Googled two words, Plica Riverside. And I clicked send and the very top of the findings, of the results, was David Allen Plicka, Olivewood Cemetery, Riverside, California, age 12. And I looked down a little further. His father, Olivewood Cemetery, age 54. And further, his mother, Olivewood Cemetery, Riverside, California, age 85. David Plicka was the boy that died in a hunting accident after I fell and my gun discharged. And I felt in me that grief, that mourning, after 60 years. The mourning and grief that feels like fear. But there's no place to run. The mourning and the grief that longs for comfort. And the comfort comes not by some cognitive awareness that, oh, when we die, we all go to heaven, we all see each other again. The comfort comes from a almost imperceptible reality of the Spirit's presence among us. And sometimes comfort comes in the form of a friend, a neighbor, church member, somebody who out of the blue calls and said, I was thinking about you today and I, 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 had, I came across a joke I wanted to share with you. And it gets shared over the phone and you laugh and you realize 
the Spirit of God has provided comfort. Our grief, our loss, our mourning does not go away. But what we receive is the Lord's comfort in the midst of it. And the Lord's care. As he knows our afflictions. As he knows our hearts. And he knows how much we're loved. We are to our Father as that little girl is to his parents. Will you join me in prayer? And so gracious Lord, thank you that we, we are not insulated. We're not, we don't transcend this life. We don't get it to a place where we, we simply surround ourselves with all kinds of distractions so that we don't feel anymore. Thank you, O Lord, that you've made us feel more deeply. And with that, the depth of that feeling comes the the depths of our ability to love one another. Thank you, O Lord, that when we mourn, we will be comforted. We pray in the mercy and the grace that you have lavished upon us all. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.